0: Hello, this is Tracy Vandiventer with Little Things First Podcast.
1: And this is Jim Martin with Little Things First Podcast.
0: We're gonna share with our listeners that we've had just a little bit of challenges with our technology, but we
1: think we have it all ironed out. When I got here, Tracy was a wash in cords. <laughs> It was buried. Sort of, yeah, <laughs> it was hectic for a minute.
0: <laughs> but I think we have it working. And today we're going to be talking to Matthew Kay, right?
1: Matthew Kay, he has written a book, Not Light, But Fire How to Lead Meaningful Race Conversations in the Classroom, and also is a regular columnist for Educational Leadership. So this is going to be a great call. Okay, here we go. We're dialing. Hey. Hi, Matthew. This is Jim Martin. How you doing? Good. How are you? All right. Thanks for joining us today. Sure. Um, this is my colleague Tracy. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Tracy. It's nice
0: to have you visit with us. Thank you for taking time to talk to
1: us. Yeah, no problem. And uh, you have a lot going on. You have articles and books and all of the all of the good stuff, so we just want to find out a little bit about yourself first. Are you sleeping? Am
2: I sleeping? Yeah, do you
1: remember to sleep?
2: <laughs> uh, um, well, a little bit. I have, okay. um, I have a two-year-old, so <laughs> there's a, that's there's that's always been a thing. That yeah, uh, over the past two weeks, uh, past two years, at least, it's right. redefined what tired means.
1: <laughs> right. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you ended up here.
2: Um, well, I've been teaching. Uh, for about 14, 15 years um, at Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. And uh, I wrote my book a couple of years ago now. It came out in 2018. And uh, just been traveling around, talking to schools, talking to teachers, trying to help folks get, you know, help folks feel a little bit more supported in having meaningful race conversations.
0: Which I think people shy away from because they don't know if they're going to get it right. Yeah. So they just avoid <laughs> yeah. it altogether.
2: Yeah. Which, you know, has its own consequences. So.
0: Exactly.
1: Uh, so are you uh, still teaching then? Um, or Yes. Okay, great. And you teach science or? I
2: teach uh, kids history. I mean, I teach kids uh, English and drama And um, a race theory class.
1: Oh, very nice. And is this like middle school, high school? Ninth and tenth graders. Oh, okay. Wonderful. That is so cool. And what
0: made you sort of decide you wanted to put the book together?
1: Well, I
2: um, have had a little bit of success uh, having meaningful race conversations in my classroom um, mixed in with, you know, some pretty big deal strikeouts but i've hit a few home runs and (laughs) i'm you know i taught a professional development um a few years ago on it um and then i just had when the opportunity came um to 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 write the book i just jumped on it um the biggest um reason was because a lot of the stuff that's out there about having race conversations in the classroom kind of focus their attention on why we should do it and making that argument. And my thought is that that leaves out a good amount of teachers who already have been convinced um, to do uh, the right thing and have the conversations, but instead are struggling with the how. Um, and I figured that not that much attention is spent on the how. Mm-hmm. And so I figured I'd write a book that, you know, just kind of it, it, at least started to have conversations. Uh, to have conversations about how to get better at it instead of why we should do it. I figure if you can live in this world, especially in these times and you don't think it's important, no book is going to help you
1: right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh,
2: There's something else going on with you. That's making you blind to the world. So um, I figured those people soak up so much energy of uh, uh, that not much energy ends up being spent on folks who are trying to do it the right way. Just want to get better at it.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting when you're, when you're sharing that, I think it's so true that we, we have a lot of pressure to, to have the conversations and people really feel ill prepared, right. To be able to, to have the conversation. We're going to have a, um, another guest in a couple of weeks that they are on a native, uh, a Sioux Indian reservation. A hundred percent of their kids are, you know, uh, um, American Indian. And here in our own area, we have a lot of Hispanic families, uh, not very many African American. And, uh, I assume in Philadelphia, you have some African American, uh, kids as well. So just in looking at those three different student groups, do you feel that the book is addressing the needs or do you find that they're kind of unique depending on the kids?
2: Well, what I tried to do, um, there is no one race conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. there is no, um, the last couple of years I've been very uh, intrigued at what people even mean when they say race conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I think even unpacking that has been interesting for me. Um, but I think as far as there, there are some things that are always going to be specific to the populations that we serve. Um, um, and then some things that are more universal when you zoom out and look at it from a macro, uh, lens. Um, so it really is a case by case thing. Um, Some things are axiomatic, like we have to believe that things like privilege are real. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have to believe that race, um, in and of itself, is a construct that was invented way more recently than we imagine. Like we have to, there are some things that are factual that we have to come to terms with, and Mm -hmm. those conversations kind of don't change that much. But when it comes down to um, people's individual cultures and what their stories have been, then that depends on which group we're actually working with.
1: So what are some little ways that educators can have these conversations? Because your book deals in the how. So if uh, a teacher, a listener wants to start some of these conversations, or we have an educational leader out there who wants to encourage these in their school, um, what ideas would you have for getting started that come from your book?
2: Um, well, I think it, it, it's, the book is split up in the two sections. The first part is about developing an ecosystem in your classroom that, um, is ready to, uh, host me- meaningful race conversations. Sure. Um, and I would always, I'm always going to start there no matter which group I'm working with. I'm always going to start with, uh um, working on the on strengthening and making the relationships in your classrooms and uh, across cultures and within cultures stronger. Um, because all the work starts there. If you don't have an ecosystem that can support the race conversations, then any success you have is going to be an accident and just good luck. And uh, any failure you have is going to be much more routine than you need it to be. And so you need – to work on all the stuff in the first part of my book about developing the relationships and establishing safe spaces and all of those things. So I'd always start there. Um, anyone who says there's one thing you can do to start immediately having better race conversations is probably selling snake oil, and I try not to do that. Um, <laughs> it's it's hard work, and anyone who mm-hmm. can make give you a sound bite about how it's gonna be better after that is... Um, either disingenuous or um, don't know what they're talking about.
1: Sure. And what Uh, happens after, so if you you develop this ecosystem, then what can happen? How do do you make these uh, race conversations? I uh, assume you embed them into all the classes that you teach?
2: Well, it depends on, it's, I mean, there are a few ways to get into it, and um, I don't want to oversimplify it, but there's, how do you look, how do you use, for instance, in my English and race theory classes, how do you use race um, as a lens to look through, to look at the text that you're reading? Great. Um, uh, so often we don't use that lens, we use other lenses, but um, and we other that lens until it's February and then we bring that lens out and then we put it back away in March. <laughs> and I think that... Um, using race as a lens to examine um, our text is a is a good place to start, um, and um, it doesn't work with every text, but it works with considerably more text than we would think. Um, for instance, I teach my tenth graders *Lord of the Flies*, and it's a story about a bunch of British white boys who get, you know, trapped on an island, and you would think that race ain't got n- nothing to do with that book <laughs> because um, it's just a bunch of br- British white boys on an island. But if you actually apply a, 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 a thoughtful race lens, a, a thoughtful race lens to it, um, race is all over that book. Because as William Golding is making his point about the boys becoming savage, the tool he uses to show that they're becoming savages, he has them mimic indigenous people. He has them have rain dances and he has them paint their faces and it shows what europeans thought of indigenous people all over the world and there's plenty of race conversations to have with order the flies but if you don't apply that lens then um uh, we have very flat views on all of the texts that we teach and furthermore that's not even forcing it because race has played such a key role in modern society and developing where we are now that it takes more effort sometimes to uh Keep race out than it does to uh, include it in the way we look at text. Like, uh, uh, you'd be surprised how applicable many of the things that, uh, and also how much it makes the kids like the text more. Oh, yeah, sure. Lord of the Flies is boring if you don't take that lens. It's a boring book. Um, But if you take that lens, in addition to a bunch of other lenses, um, (laughs) then all of a sudden I got a bunch of. Philadelphian 15-year-olds, like, really into Lord of the Flies.
1: Sure. How do you balance um, using traditional texts like Lord of the Flies, quote-unquote traditional texts, and maybe some um, more modern texts that uh, are written by authors of color um, in your classroom?
2: I think I balance them out pretty well. Um, I don't have too many um, super canonical text that I teach. Um, and one of the other ones besides Lord of the Flies is Native Son and that's written by a black man. So, um, there's, you know, I try to keep things as contemporary as possible, but, and I think educators spend a lot of time on that representation conversation. And I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have, but I think, that's not where the conversation needs to end. Like you can take a book that's written by a Latino or Asian or uh, African-American author. And if you teach it in the same colonial type way, you're not going to get, it, it doesn't make a difference. Sure. Like if you're not doing anything, if you're not doing uh, it the right way, it doesn't matter. Well, I won't say it doesn't matter. That's too far, but it, it it's not as transformational as you think it might be. Sure. And so, that's what I tried to write, and you know, I tried to. What are some things that you can do in the how to make it so your efforts are re- rewarded, even if your head is in the right place?
0: We are um, we are facing uh, kind of a surprising race conversation here at our school. So I'm a principal at an elementary school, and with the coronavirus, this last week we have actually had a surprise in that with some of our Asian students and Asian teachers. Uh, They are seen as the bad guys bringing the virus to our country. And I'm not actually sure how to lead the staff. So two questions are kind of embedded in that. One, what advice do you have overall little things that administrators or educational leaders can do to help kind of build that ecosystem? And then what advice would you give uh, me or give my teachers to help uh, address this issue?
2: So I would have to, I'm always going to go back to, there's nothing easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to ever pretend like I can, like I'm the race whisperer and I give you <laughs> advice for everything. <laughs> you um, can make a lot of money though. a lot of, of money, doing that and they're lying. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of money in that I'm discovering, but that doesn't make it any more mm-hmm. uh, real. Right. Um, so I don't ever want to position myself as that. Um, what I would say is that, um, When I have spoken with some schools, some hard decisions need to be made about what your school stands for. Um, um, So to be totally frank, we are teaching, we're educators in a time where objective reality um, and kindness are political statements. Mm -hmm. Like if you were to write, go up in front of your classroom and write facts are facts, um, you you could have parents calling you saying stop politicizing my kids education right um right. And, and that's the world we live in and if you write kindness matters on your board you could have parents calling you saying stop politicizing um uh, our education and and so things like bullying is wrong and things like we don't speak to each other this way are now political mm-hmm. and um that's part of what makes it no easy answer. So school has to determine what they stand for. Like I've worked, I just worked two weeks ago with a school where the kids brought me in. I didn't know that the kids had brought me in. I showed up and there were no adults. It was just kids. Hmm. Um, and the kids had, you know, through some mentors hired me to help them speak to their staff about how they can hmm. be more supportive. they um, it was their black student union. Um, wow. and they were feeling, um, yeah, it blew me away. Um, And the tough thing I was telling them and, um, a administrator of goodwill, you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think this is a bad person at all. Um, but she interrupted to say, you know, I said essentially to the kids, like you have to call a spade a spade with your teachers. Like if you, the kid calls you the N word and you tell the teacher they don't do anything or they have a like fake little conversation with them and then move on, um, that teacher, it comes down to whether that teacher loves you or not. Like, do they value your safety or not? Um, and the admin stepped in and said, well, sometimes it's hard. The teachers are nervous. And I'm like, respectfully, I have to call BS on that. Because if you if you care about, um, if I care about my wife, if she tells me that something is hurtful, the first thing I do is stop it. And the Mm -hmm. second thing I do is ask questions. The second thing I do, like, the first thing is, what is this behavior that's causing pain? And I draw a hard line on that behavior and then figure out what, you know, Mm -hmm. how we can make it more meaningful. And so if we're in a place where Asian kids are in a space where people are talking to them in this kind of way, Mm -hmm. the school has to take a stand on what they value. Like, do they value the comfort of not bothering conservative parents? who might not care about bullying anymore? Or do they care about the safety of this group, this minority group that's in the school? And before you get to any techniques, that initial question has to be answered. Because Mm -hmm. now you're in a place where if you speak, if you pull those kids aside and you say that is bullying and you reach into your bullying toolkit to deal with it, when the parents don't consider it bullying and consider it political speech, then you have to face the consequences from those parents and this admin has to figure out, um, are we willing to do that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the ugliness of our reality mm-hmm. right now. Like and mm-hmm. any, there's no like freedom writers type game or anything that can solve a, a, an issue like that that gets to the soul of the school. Is this a place where we're kind? Wow. Or, is this where we're, or is this a place that encourages kindness or is it not? Um, and furthermore, proactively, like uh, my school's not perfect by any means, but one thing, uh, my boss always says is in this place, we try to get students who are thoughtful, wise, passionate, and kind, that's his language. And so we try our best to proactively go after that. Um, and and say we have activities like some of the stuff I have in you know, the first part of the book where we're, before we speak to them as students, we speak to them as humans. before We do our team building stuff before something has gone wrong. We like, we own, like my colleague used to put up in front of his classroom when the kids were walking in. This is a classroom of love. This is not what we do. And you name the behaviors that you're not, that, you're, that are going to be unacceptable. But for an admin, if you want your teachers to do that, it's got to be communicated um, that they have coverage mm-hmm. because if a teacher is going to say this is a classroom of love, these behaviors are bullying we're not going to do it. These are the consequences, and then a parent calls them, and, and, the, and the admins don't back the teacher up. You know, that's problematic. So Mm -hmm. that's what I said. There's no easy answers. on that. No,
0: but I like what you said. Um, You know, we've been focusing on greeting kids as they come in and building this culture of being welcome. And I think we've made progress, but I like what you're saying about even having something (coughs) in the room that is going to address that these are the things that are not going to be tolerated in this room because we are a classroom of love or we are a classroom that's welcoming. And uh, we may have to be more explicit about that. Uh, even name calling, and I, I so appreciate you making the connection with the political side of that because we are busy working on making sure kids are not name calling, but we see it on TV, we see it in tweets, we see it in you know different messages coming from different forms of leaders, right, in our community, and and it's I think it's okay for us to explicitly say nope, not in this space. We're not going to have that.
2: So yeah, th- and I think there's an element of and. I don't want to say this. I think it's it's simple but it's not easy.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, it's
2: not easy at all. Like the, we are local. Ed, ed, education is local in this country. Like it's it's not easy at all. Like the, if the community we serve has different value systems.
0: Yeah.
2: Or that's not easy. So I don't want to pres- I don't want to be here in liberal Philadelphia telling people what to do all over. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's still, you know, it, there's got to be some element of my house, my rules mm-hmm. as far as kindness is concerned. Um, cause then it's not a race conversation. It's a, like acknowledging people's humanity. Like it, it's, it's, it's deeper than any individual race conversation. It's like, are we kind here or not? <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's the, and this is what kindness means. And I think that's, it's not easy.
1: Right. Um, But yeah, how have you dealt with pushback that you've received? Um, You know, maybe a parent who says, "I don't want Lord of the Flies to be politicized," or um, you know, "I don't want my child to to participate in that." I guess they might not sign them up for your course that's very specific to that. But um, I don't know. Have have you had any pushback?
2: Well, the beautiful thing about um, well, two things again, I'm trying to be as honest with you as possible Please. the politics in my city are different sure. than they are in many places in Utah um, so, for
1: instance <laughs> yeah,
2: so I'm gonna be like I'm gonna be open and honest about that so I, I don't wanna because the second teachers can sniff li- liars a thousand miles away so <laughs> I I don't want to pretend to have an experience that I don't have but what I will say is, Often in the book, I do talk about I'm really not big on hero teacher stuff and like this kind of like renegade who like closes their door and tries to save kids lives and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) I'm really big. The reason I have so much cover is when kids is between me, there's open communication between me and my principal um, about what we're doing and how it aligns with what the school is trying to do. I don't try to hide anything
1: Mm -hmm.
2: like I don't run away from the idea of having of common core and state standards and those kind of things. Matter of fact, I don't think my stuff is renegade stuff. I think it's the best kind of teaching.
1: Sure.
2: Mm-hmm. So if like kids learn through discussion, they learn through debate. They, they learn through the kind of things I'm talking about. And so and it aligns. In Pennsylvania, I'm a teacher of reading, writing, speaking, listening, and viewing. And I can point to each of those things in each of my units actually much more than folks who may disagree with me pedagogically can point to them in their units. My kids do way more writing, way more discussing, way more all the things that Pennsylvania tells me I need to do when I'm doing it my way. Mm -hmm. Sure. And so I have coverage. But if I was being a renegade, I make it hard for the principal to have my back.
0: Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. If they don't know what I'm talking
2: about. And so I think that's one thing. Because I teach, like the book my ninth graders are reading, Sold. Um, It's about a girl sold into sex slavery. And occasionally I've had, you know, over the past few years, I've had some parents who take an issue with some parts. And I'm like, sure, here's my alternate text. And if it's really a big deal for you, then I'll definitely swap it out for your kid. Here's here's their separate assignment, all those kind of things. But um, here's my case. Like, this, is a, this isn't this is me trying to be a hero. This is actually, these are the awards this book has won. These are the, uh, uh, th- this is my curriculum. This is my unit plan. This is what we're doing. Here's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that doesn't have 100% success rate, but, you know, I'm batting at, le- at least 300 on it. Like, a few kids' parents change their minds. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And some other kids, that, that's not my, you know, that's okay. <coughs> Yeah, but it doesn't undercut me for the rest of the class. Sometimes the more uh, aggressive parents will try to say no one should be reading this, and then my principal gets step in right away.
0: Right, and he kind of already has a heads up ready for you.
2: Exactly, like Mm -hmm. you can you can you know make a change for your kid. We we respect what's going on in your house, but the school stands behind this. Right. So, but uh, admin can't do that if the teacher thinks that they're some hero teacher that doesn't share anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so we uh, know that you have an art uh, a column actually in educational leadership confronting equity. I think is the title yeah. of it, and um, so I really enjoy reading what you write there. Uh, one of the Thanks. things that got us talking um, was uh, some a debate that we've had about lesson plans, and you write recently an uh, article for your column called "Free the Lesson Plans." Yeah. Um, and we just thought that was kind of a fun um, topic to maybe talk about with you because uh, we've had some debates on this program about collecting lesson plans from teachers, what the value might be, um, what the mm-hmm. uh, disadvantages might be. And so we just wanted you to maybe talk a little bit about that and um, what your perspective is on lesson plans and collecting lesson plans in schools.
0: My teachers are especially interested. <laughs>
2: <Hey>. Okay. So <laughs> – What I'll say, uh, I have to, again, I'm gonna own my privilege here. Um, At SLA, um, I've, ever since I started teaching, I spent like maybe half a year at a different school. But when I was 22, I started at SLA and I've been there for the past 14, 15 years. Um, So I've only known one way and I've just heard the other ways from other people, my wife included. So I will just own where I'm coming from. But that said, when I go um, out to do all this speaking that I'm doing now, um, occasionally unit plans come up. That's what they hired me to come in and speak about. Um, and I ask um, uh, folks uh, who likes, who, and not just likes, who feels supported by or thinks it's useful, the biweekly lesson plan. And the amount of eye-rolling, giggling, <laughs> like, like, and this is in conservative uh, parts of the country, and liberal parts of the country, and rural parts of the country, and urban parts of the country. No, no matter who I speak to, um, I get the same reaction, which is rare because that happens literally with nothing else in education. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, there's there's no other topic I could talk about that across the board um, everyone agrees on, and so that makes me think um, I wasn't as like dogmatic about this until I started traveling and speaking. And that's when I was like, oh, wait, wait, something's going on here. Um, and the biggest thing is, like, I make dailies. I make dailies every Sunday, um, like many teachers do. Um, I make dailies, and I, and sometimes at the beginning of the unit, like I am with Sold, uh, the book I'm teaching with the ninth graders, I'll go two weeks. Um, just to give me a rough pacing and stuff like that. What am I doing? What outside sources do I need? I make sure I download the right videos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but every daily, I've yet to write a daily that on on Sunday night that I'm still on track on Thursday. Sure, like that's that's I, it hasn't happened in 15 years. It's never happened, and that's my own private uh, um, thing. And and it makes me think. Um, after speaking to my wife, who's held accountable to a biweekly lesson plan at her school, how. It makes me it strikes me just how useless that document would be to um, the teacher themselves after three days. Mm. Like the act like it just you're no longer on it. Like you're not there unless you're being completely not responsive to your kids. Like mm-hmm. if or or unless you've been really lucky, which I guess happens to someone. It hasn't happened to me, but this seems like the more reasonable thing is you just are plowing forward. Um, kind of not really plugged into what your kids are saying, especially for me, for discussions, being a dialogic teacher, um, very few things go very much according to plan. Um, um, there's a general stri- strategic plan that I hit, but the tactics, I don't know what there's, they don't answer the same thing to every prompt. I have the same, I, you know, have two different streams of two different classes and they're both in 10th grade and conversations go completely different ways. Right. and. I either honor that, um, or I push them back online, which tends to make the kids less responsive to my prompts because they think, ah, oh, there's just something he wants me to get, and so I don't feel like sharing anymore because it's just kind of a hunt for the right answer. Um, so I figure it—the two weeks, if you're really trying to stick hard to it, really uh, uh, highlights the worst habits that we have as discussion leaders, especially mm. like. It, it 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 if you hold to it and if you don't hold to it that's fine but then that document doesn't help I mean, like if you hold to it and if you're an admin coming in to observe me on Thursday and I'm not there if I I'm not sure how useful that document is to you either sure um and furthermore for english chairs and i assume for chairs in other departments um The second largest frustration I get from teachers besides just that it's, you know, not something they look at after Sunday because it's been changed so much. And they'll keep their own thing on like a Google Doc or they'll have their own documents. I'm not saying teachers don't plan. I'm saying the thing they submitted Mm -hmm. is not no longer aligns with what they're doing. Um, But the other thing that is a big frustration that I didn't think much about was the feedback and how hard it must be for the admins to get feedback on that many pages.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Just like yeah. that much work. And the, one of the largest frustrations that teachers express is how scant or copy-paste the feedback is.
1: Mm.
2: It, it's either scant or copy-paste, and teachers know that immediately. Um, and to the point where they share, like, I just kind of hand in my lessons from last year. I haven't changed this thing. All, all I changed is the date. <laughs> like, yeah. And they share all the gaming that happens. And this isn't accusing teachers of messing up. I think there's great planning that's happening and great teaching that's happening. But those plans, those documents that are handed in, aren't reflective of it.
1: And does this um, article show up in your confronting equity column because you see it as an equity issue? Is it uh, affecting the... Differentiation that teachers are bringing to their work or making sure that their instruction reflects the needs of their students? What are yeah. Your thoughts? Yeah.
2: Well, I think there are larger issues than unit planning and lesson planning. And this is what I say in the piece like, there are many funding issues and societal issues, and <laughs> there's all sorts of big, heavy lifts to uh, uh, that need to be taken on. When we're trying to, you know, have more equitable spaces in our classrooms, but the, so, so there's heavy lifts and then there's light work. And I think switching out of the review, the lesson plan is light work. Like that's something that we could do over a summer and be better at next year. Like yeah. that's that's easy. Like that's that that's one of those things that's both simple and easy. <laughs> like that kind of planning. Um, and, and now there's some things you can do to get better at it. But the switch, every time I've been brought in not on race stuff, but on unit planning stuff, which I do too, every time I've been brought in on that, the teachers like there's like light bulbs. They're like, oh that thing I kind of briefly described in the article, they're like, Well, that makes total sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I can make feedback and I can and the admins like it because I'm like, oh, I, I can give feedback on this way easier. Yeah. It's way easier. It's two pages and it covers six weeks. This is great. Right. Like this is, I can give feedback, and the and the teachers like we just had at my school, a time where we could swap. We looked at each other's unit plans. So I showed my unit plan to their history teacher. Their history teacher showed it to me, and all of a sudden, after about two minutes of reading, I knew exactly just about everything that's going to happen in that history class for the next six weeks.
1: Hmm. Now nice. that would
2: be like forty pages of papers on the weekly lesson plan.
1: Yeah. Right.
2: If not more, sometimes <laughs> the admins ask them to do, like, these crazy documents that are, like, bi-weekly lesson plans could be, like, 14 pages.
1: Right, and much less useful to much your work less as a teacher, yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so I think, I think because it makes the, because it stands to make more complicated the discussion having, because you're less student-centered, because you're more concerned about staying on track, um, it either does that, which is harmful, or it encourages lying, which I think is harmful. I think the relationship between admin and teacher is kind of precious, and every time you send in a fake lesson plan, it harms it.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah.
2: every every time the admin writes copy paste feedback, it harms it. Every time the admin doesn't write feedback, it harms it. Like that. That relationship has enough stressors on it that a teacher eye rolling on the lesson plan stuff doesn't help. Right. And the admins kind of, you know what I mean? Like, it just messes up. And so that makes all those other things like, hey, I'm going to take these lenses about race. And Mm -hmm. I might have parents. Hey, I'm going to have this stance on bullying. Hey, I'm going to do those things. You need your admin and your teacher to be on the same page. And it just kind of unnecessarily adds tension.
0: Definitely. You don't even check my lesson plans. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it adds that tension. And I appreciate, I think, the focus too on the artistry of teaching, that really you can't just lock yourself into this, you know, lockstep one after another after another. So I think that there's a balance in there of trying to make sure that teachers have direction to what they're working on, but not being held to a place where you're going to be busted if you're not on page 24 by 10 a.m. on Wednesday, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Hey, we've got another question for you. If you could sure. talk to your younger self, who's just getting into education, and give them advice, what advice would you give them in regards to just doing your best and the little things that make a big difference?
2: That's a good question. I... It's interesting because I would, I guess I would tell myself to just read as much as you can, which I've tried to do. Um, um, a lot of the mistakes that I wouldn't want to skip the learning processes, because I wouldn't have believed it anyway, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I, I tell my student teacher all the time, I say, Your first couple years, you're going to have some highs and lows, you're going to have some conversation. It's like, I'm going to give you some notes and give you some feedback, but some things you're going to need to get to the room and kind of have those exchanges and learn some things. And so I wouldn't want to skip that process.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Even in an imaginary exercise, like I realized that if I hadn't had that moment, I wouldn't have believed it anyway. Yeah. Like if a mentor teacher had told me this, I'd have been like, yeah, maybe you, but not me. Exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: like, right. I'm different. You.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm different, I'm mm-hmm. young and hip <laughs>
2: you, I, I, am, I am this, I am that I am this, I am that yeah. It did not happen I'm like, oh, okay, never mind yeah. um, So I wouldn't do that But I'd say keep reading Like I think I do a pretty good job of that um, nice. But just kind of keep reading Keep getting better at your craft By um, not just reading professional books Which is something I don't do very much So I would tell myself Hey, a lot of people You're inventing ideas that people have already done
0: mm-hmm. and
2: you're wasting your time inventing things that you could have just read about yeah like if every summer you read a good pro- professional book you'd be a better teacher um instead of having to like have you're having realizations that people had 40 years ago
0: yeah
2: <laughs> and, and just read what they wrote and you'd, you'd be fine <laughs> but also my reading life outside of professional books like I'm better. I can make so many supplementary resources that I talk about in the book just because I have read other books. Yeah. I can say this is like this because I read what this is. If I've not read anything else then I can't say, "Hey, this character is like this character." And I can't bring in a vi- video. I can't bring in an article. If I have a, if I don't read the newspaper every day, I can't bring in an article for the kids because I don't know um stuff to connect
1: it to. Yeah, so, very good. I would just say keep reading
0: good advice good advice
1: well thank you Matthew we appreciate your time today and um, have really enjoyed the conversation Uh, love your book love your column and would encourage other people to get in touch with those things thanks
0: and they can buy it I assume on Amazon and all the other important places to find books
1: they could they can all the places
2: um, Amazon Barnes & Noble all those things but I recommend going to Stenhouse's website and getting it there it's considerably cheaper.
1: Oh, good to okay, know. Okay, good Very advice. Good. Thank you yeah, so, so don't much. don't go to Amazon.
2: It's there, but don't, but don't, don't, don't go to Amazon.
1: Stenhouse <laughs> Publishing. It is okay. Yes. Thank you, and have a great rest of your day.
0: Thanks for All taking right, time. So.
1: All right. Bye bye. No problem. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>